welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today I have a special guest. Her name is Tessa and Tessa and I go way back. We actually went to church together, youth, um, youth camp. We went on a missions trip together. Everything when we were, what, how old do you think we were? 13, 14? Yeah, we probably, probably when we went for sure. Okay, so around 14 is when we went on the missions trip. Um, but we had known each other basically our entire lives. Her, uh, my old stepmom is actually one of her cousins, like in distant family. So yeah, it's just kind of crazy how we've always known each other. Um, also, we both, as we were teenagers, could not stand each other. We were like <laughs> each other's enemies, and we both dated the same kid. Like it was just like crazy. And come to find out, like it all came together later on, but we were actually going through the same exact situation. So her stepfather was also abusing her. And it all, both of our stories kind of came out pretty close at the same time. Hers came out almost right after I disappeared and my stuff happened. And I mean, I think it explained why we had such a, I don't know why we butted Tension, yeah. Tension. I don't know if maybe we both kind of knew. I don't know what happened, but yeah. So um, now like I love her like a sister and I just really wanted to have her come on because like I said, coincidentally, we had the same story, but as well, our stepdads were in prison together and then they both got released within a couple months of each other a few years ago. So it's really just crazy how we kind of came to meet and went through the same thing and just where we are now. Our kids are the same age. And so yeah, Tessa, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I really just want to get your story and you're in a little bit of a different situation because of what's going on with your stepdad now. So why don't you start from the beginning and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so as Desi mentioned, we've known each other for a long time. Um, we, I grew up in the Christian uh, church, obviously, same as Des. Um, so kind of going back, my parents met when I was five or so um, and got married when I was seven. So my, me and my mom were alone for quite some time. Uh, single mom, she raised me alone. Um, she, at that time, was in the United Pentecostal Church um, when she met my stepdad she joined the Christian church with his family um, and became a part of that organization. So they married, like I said, when I was probably seven or eight. Mike actually adopted me. So we grew up in really strict family. I was kind of the, the odd man out when I joined Mike's family. I wasn't really accepted in a certain way. It's kind of that adopted kid, the odd Why cousin out. I don't remember. Where was your biological dad? So my biological dad actually left my mom when I was probably two. Okay, so um, you didn't know him. I've, I've never really known him. My, my grandparents show up here here and there. I randomly okay. see him in restaurants, oddly enough. But I, I've never been a part of that family. Okay. So, yeah, I was kind of always the, the odd man out on that family's totem. My cousins that were my age, I had two older girl cousins that were my around my age, and then my cousin, Matt, that was younger than me. So it's kind of a little bit different. So my, my stepdad was always really strict. My mom was always, um, you know, right behind him. But my mom's always been that, I hate to use the word, but she's always been, because we like to use the word victim in more of the victim versus survivor mode, but mm-hmm. my mom's always been the victim. Mm-hmm. In one way or another, my mom's always the victim, and she needs a man by her, no mm-hmm. matter what. To so, yep, yeah, to save her. So... Anything my stepdad said went. Anything my stepdad said goes. And 
so growing up, we lived in the West Jordan area here in Utah. I started sports, riding horses, all sorts of activities. Was really involved in the community between, like you mentioned, youth group, ministry, horses, sports. I was always doing something. And then when I turned 13 or 12 to 13, my parents bought a new home. We finally moved the horses onto our new home and our property. They always used to be at my grandparents' house. And when that happened, that was kind of our trigger for when my abuse started. So I was about 13, I think, when we moved in, just to turn 13. There was a new set of neighbors next to us that moved in as well. We were about six months before us, I believe. And there was a cute guy next door. <laughs> um, so the cute boy next door, of course, new neighborhood, new neighbor. Hey, who this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was when I, I now, out of the trauma, I can pinpoint that that was his trigger someone else looking at me and someone taking an interest in me because the abuse hadn't started yet. the abuse had not started at this okay. point now as an adult i can see he groomed me for a very long time the horses the sports i had motorcycles we rode atvs Gave you everything you i had wanted. everything so child grooming big thing yeah. <laughs> definitely as a as an adult now i can recognize that so he groomed me for a long time i think before that trauma really happened and I think his trigger was definitely, I was interested in the boy next door. Okay. As simple and as yeah, cheesy as that sounds. Crazy. So when we moved into the new house, that was when the abuse started. It started out as the kind of getting me secluded in the living room at mm -hmm. night after my mom went to bed, after my little brother went to bed. And then started with this touching with clothes on, then no clothes on. Then he'd sneak into my room so on and so forth. So kind of cutting to the chase. So Mike was charged with four counts. Those four counts are child abuse, actually sodomy of a young, of a adolescence, and then two other very similar to those charges. So, so what, before you continue, can you kind of explain what was your breaking point and how you came out? Yeah, for sure. So with all of my abuse, definitely, you're a teenager, right? So I start, this started when I was 13. I was a little bit older. It started out as, don't say anything, don't do anything, you know, keep your mouth shut. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. More of the grooming to convince me to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. He'd cut off my boyfriend that then became the boy next door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cut him off. He started the control off really early. So the control factor was really early on where he started cutting everyone off as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to have friends over, girlfriends over for the weekend. I never left the house for girlfriends over for the weekend, you know, girls sleep over. So the, the control was really a huge factor. So from junior high into then high school, it, it started getting worse. So when I started driving, it was, okay, I want your work schedule. Okay, when are you going to be home? You're off at this time. You need to be home by this time. Mm. Um, like pinpointing down to my minutes of my life. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything. And you were, were you going to youth group at the time? Yes. Okay. So you were allowed to go to youth group because he was a big part of the church, wasn't he? Yes. So can yeah. you kind of explain like, was he pretty high up there? Yeah. So my family's always been um, into everything. So my mom's one of those people that... She's in every group that the mm. church could possibly provide. Every Bible study. Every, every Bible study. <laughs> okay. She's got every sermon tape. 
I'm, I'm not shaming by any means people that do that. Right, Please don't take it. She's <laughs> yes. Totally she's involved. that person. But that's why it's crazy because they were 100% involved in all yeah. of this stuff. But yet, this totally dark life was happening behind doors. Yeah, and I'll definitely explain a little bit more about my church situation with the church and my parents here in a second. Um, But yeah, so youth group even though, like that was, I love that you brought that up because even youth group, it was like, okay, youth is over at this time. You need to be out to your car by this time and we're leaving at this time. Mm-hmm. Or you need to be home at this time. So it was like down to the minute that, that he stopped my life essentially. One of my closest breaking points was, so I finally had said something to my mom and was like, he's hurting me. And she was like, no. And it happened to be one of those moments that we're all fighting in the the kitchen over, you know, breakfast or God knows what for the day. Um, And I like blurted it out over anger, over over being upset and I'm kind of at that max of just like every moment of my life is is TikTok. I'm over this mm-hmm. and my mom just looked at me and was like you're just saying things you're just in that teenager yep. exaggerating you're exaggerating okay. you're just upset um and as I walked out my car used to be my parents have a really long driveway off the side of their mm-hmm. house and my car was parked in the back of the house so as I went to leave for the day Mike actually like ran down the driveway and picked me up by my throat and told me to keep my mouth shut. And then that day when I came home from school, I was doing my laundry and he was like, your mom asked me if there's anything going on. And he chuckled and he was like, I told her no. And that was like, okay, obviously there's this breaking point of this moment where I've said something to my mom. My mom and me have never had a great relationship. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, obviously- I can't trust her. I can't trust her. He's only going to continue to threaten me what do I do? Mm -hmm. Another pivotal breaking moment was he, so I had a flat tire driving into work, Mm -hmm. legitimate flat tire, had to drive down to the gas station, get air in my tire. I was 35 minutes or so late for work. He had called my work 15 times. Oh my gosh. Wanting to know where I was because he needed quote unquote, my social security number for something and then found out I wasn't there. Called my cell phone and I didn't answer because I was trying to get into work. So I had immediately, I worked at Sears Grand (laughs) for any Mm -hmm. of those. um, And I pulled directly into the auto parts um, lobby and essentially told the guys, like, something's wrong, fix it. And I walked straight back, got clocked in, went to work. The guys pulled, like, a chunk of metal, like a charm almost, out of my tire. Mike showed up. Wanted to know what was going on. I was like, the guys have fixed my tire. And he's like, they planted it. They planted it. And I was like, yes, I have this elaborate story for being 30 minutes late for work. Yeah, they planted something. And they planted something in my tire. So those were kind of like those key moments towards the end that just like really were, I was done. I was done. Um, Another thing was I was obviously starting to slough and not show up to school and not wanting to be there. And if I couldn't be free on the out hours of school, I was going to slough and be free during school. Right. Um, which means my grade slipped. Mm-hmm. So we essentially, the day that I reported everything... How old were you at this point? I had just turned 17, I believe. Or okay. I was about to turn 17. I can't remember. But I was getting ready to leave for school, got my report card. It was a shit show. And he was, like, threatening me over text message about my grades and about how much I had slapped and how this was going to affect me and that he's going to take this away, going to take that away. And so it was just all of these threats. And I was like, I can't handle it anymore. 
Mm-hmm. It's a threat whether I'm at school. It's a threat whether I'm not at school. It's a threat whether I get good grades. It's a threat whether I not get good grades. So those were my breaking moments of just like, I literally can't live. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. He had my lifetime down to a moment, down to a minute, and I couldn't live. And yeah. so I actually, I, I actually reported same as you to the school counselor mm. where I literally just walked in and was like, I can't go home. I text my grandma to pick up my little brother, which obviously chained the whole like events of everyone blowing on my phone and what's going on and this, that, and another. Mm. Um, but I reported to the school counselor and then, um, oddly enough, our school officer that was, um, at my high school was actually my officer in junior high. So he had known me this whole time through this, like, good kid, had a little bit of troubles, bad kid. You know, he kind of knew me through the whole entire process because he had actually transferred from my junior high to my high school. Okay. So, and then I would see when I reported, so because my mom did not believe me and because my phone then started blowing up, um, between Mike and my mom, um, it just was one of those situations that I knew I couldn't go home. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't go home because if I went home, it would have been him locking my mom out of out of the situation and me getting abused. Right. Me getting hurt again. Right. And had you ever said anything to her again after that one time when you guys got in that fight? Um, I don't really recall. I want to say I, I've, I had said multiple situations to her before. Um, you know, like, we're not getting along. I don't, you know, this is happening or that's happening. Not ever, like, identifying abuse okay. scenarios. Right. Um, but, like, like I mentioned, me and my mom have never had a good relationship. And she's always been on the side of whoever she's with. Mm-hmm. That man can do no wrong. Right. No matter the situation. No matter if I'm getting disciplined for, you know, Nothing. kicking something or breaking the wall or, you know, damaging my car. Whatever the situation, I could never do right. If he said I did wrong, it was always wrong. Right. So it was one of those situations that was like, okay, she'll never believe me. She's never going to stand by my side. I don't know what to do. And the family stands by him. And so I finally was like, okay, well, I'm going to go into juvenile, you know, the juvenile center and stay there until I can figure out who I can trust and who I can't. And did you do that like right away? Like as soon as you reported it? Yeah. Did they kind of help you figure out where you can go? Yeah. So I essentially went into the youth facility for juveniles um, downtown and stayed down there and essentially was in took like I was a kid that did wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, just like, like every, every yep, yeah, just like everyone else, I was in took. Everything was taken away from me. I got their shoes. I got their bedding. Um, mm-hmm. Everything was taken from me, and I spent that night there. I had some close friends that actually I stayed with shortly after. Um, we did all of my intake and all of my reporting and everything. Um, but I ended up staying in the girls' home for three weeks mm-hmm. or three months. Excuse me. Um, they kicked me out. <laughs> No, the the state state actually kicked me out because you're only supposed to stay there for like a minimum of like a week to three weeks. And they kicked me out. They were like, you've been here too long. And so I got put into a foster home because I had no family to go to. So Mike's family all supported him. Everyone thought I was lying. Everyone thought I was running away from my problems. I was a problem kid. 
I was being shamed for whatever I had decided to do um, and go against Mike. I had fought with my mom, I had fight with Mike, so therefore I had to be making up this story. And when this happened, had he been blowing your phone up still? Yep. Yep. Um, and so obviously that was all part of evidence as well of like his belligerence and his aggression towards me. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up using all of that. And then once obviously their lawyers figured out that we were using that, my phone was turned off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they stopped corresponding with me. But yeah, I was, so I was in the girls' home for three months. They essentially kicked me out. I went into a foster home for a couple of weeks. And then, by God's great grace, um, my amazing cousin that's older than me, she's, uh, most of my cousins, as I mentioned earlier, are quite a bit older than me. Um, Her and her husband decided, you know, this is not okay that Mike's done this to her. She's not the one at fault. She finally was able to have the strength to come forward and we're going to protect her. Mm. So they quickly became foster parents as fast as they could. Um, because technically they weren't direct relatives Mm -hmm. and because I am adopted, the state doesn't see it as a direct relative them until I was just after I was turned 18. So I lived with them for quite a while. They became what I call my new parents. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, going back, I, I spent, like I said, a good three months in the group home. I literally had a driver through the state that came and picked me up and dropped me off like I was a juvenile delinquent and lived that life for quite a while. And then shortly after I moved in with my cousin, we had the trials. Um, Everything was supposed to be, I was going in to essentially, um, you know, testify against him. And we walked in, they brought me into the back room to sit and wait for the trial to begin. And the lawyers came out with, he wanted to do a plea bargain. So it actually was that he decided to plead no contest. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So for those that don't know, essentially it's not him pleading guilty and or pleading innocent. innocent. <laughs> essentially, I raised my hand up. Hands up. Yeah. Yep, I threw my hands up. I, I can't say one way or another. So as I mentioned earlier, he was charged with four counts. They were all one to 15 years. And Mike spent a total of 10 years. 10 years exactly. Yeah. Same as Mike. Yeah. 10 years. Exactly. 10 years. So, and I think he got out just after or just before John? Yeah, I think it was right after. Yeah. So... I think within, like, a couple months, if I remember right, he had got out. Yeah. So, I went to every one of Mike's parole hearings. Um, I stood up and spoke at every single one of them. I showed up. I was there along with... So, was my entire family supporting him. And kind of backing up, I mentioned the church and their relationship with Mike. So as the proceedings began, the pastor of the church actually decided to speak on his behalf. So they had character witnesses, quote unquote, come in for Mike and and be character witnesses for him to prove his innocence, that there's no way that this could be him. It had to have been me. I had to have been making up lies, so on and so forth. So, I mean, the church and their relationship that my parents had with him was very distorted. Mm-hmm. So they thought he was this totally different person. A hundred percent. And it's, and it's really funny. They actually, a detective and the officers on my case all used to call me the poster child. Mm-hmm. I had what you would say a picture perfect. Yeah. From the outside in, oh, she rides horses. She, and I remember, I remember even thinking that. And I think maybe that's even part of why I was jealous of you. Cause I thought 
oh, well, what is, like, what's her problem? She has everything. And that's why I always say people have no idea what no. you're going through. Like, you are so far from that. But he was just super good at being such a good liar. He was really good. made it look like that. Well, and that's the thing is he was made out to be this glorious person. He helped with the 4-H. He helped with my basketball. He helped with horses. He, you know, traveled with me to go to rodeos, to go to events, to go to competitions. But all of that time, he's traveling with me while he's... To control you. To control me and abuse me. Right. To get me alone and to abuse me. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was I was called the poster child, and it was, I literally remember sitting at the juvenile center, and my detective came in and had this weird, like, it was like 7, 30, 8 o'clock. It was a, a later visit. Mm-hmm. And he showed up, and he sat down, and he's like, I, I need you to tell me. He's like, I have this, 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 and this, 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 and character witnesses. Everyone's saying all of these things, and he's like, I believe you. He's like, but I need you to tell me that you are a hundred percent. This is what's happened. He's like, and I will never ask you ever again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. I was like, just because I had it all doesn't mean I had it all. You, and that's the thing too is you had it all because that's what he wanted. Yes. You had it all because he knew that was the way to control you. Yep. Riding the horses, doing the competitions, those early mornings on. You know, my competition weekends were 5 a.m., leave the house, and didn't come home till Saturday the next day, you know? It was, Mm -hmm. they were long weekends, and they were only me and him weekends. Yeah, you didn't have any way to escape that. So what happened at court then? So he ended up having all those people come. When when all the people came to support him, did anybody say anything to you, or was it just, they all completely just ignored you, or? No, yeah, I've, the day that I walked out, and left home, I was shamed. I was shamed by the whole family. The, the family took his side 100%. And even to this day, I had a cousin that just got married like three weeks ago or so. And an aunt, I found out that one of my aunts was going to be there that I was told wasn't going to be there. And she ended up approaching my cousin, that essentially is my new mom, as I call her, and approached my cousin and was like, I don't understand why you're mad at me. Like, they're just oblivious to it all. They yeah. don't They don't get it. They just don't understand. And unfortunately, my family is the Christian side of the family, the, the world that thinks that God should just forgive. Right. God will heal. God will forgive. It's fine. If it's, God says it, yeah. then it's fine. My mom is still with him to this day. So let's talk about that. So he went to for 10 years. And yeah. then after the 10 years, first of all, can you kind of talk about, like, what was your mental state and healing and all of that within those 10 years before yeah, he was released. That's a great, that's a great point. My cousin is seriously my saving grace, her and her husband. I had structure that I feel like true parents should be providing their children as well as just, they kept me busy in their right ways, not in the distracting ways of the horses and the sports and that, mm-hmm. but it was like the right ways of teaching a person about life, mm-hmm. uh, teaching a person about education, their finances, their future. Because you were becoming an adult at this point. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I'm about to turn 18. I'm about to, I guess, age out, as Mm -hmm. you call it. And how am I, what am I going to do with my life? Because of everything that was going on, I had flunked a few classes. I was behind in school. I hated high school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of my friends were older. So at this point, I'm a junior and everyone's, all of my friends that I kind of grown up with because I was 
friends with everyone older, was gone. Mm. And so it was, what am I going to do? So they really helped me focus on becoming an adult and figuring out how to be an adult. So with that, I would see my focus was trying to find that healing and trying to find that future. I went through a ton of therapy Mm -hmm. (laughs) during that time. And I have to say, I wish to this day, that's probably one of those things that you block out, but like I wish to this day I could remember my social worker and my therapist name because literally they were amazing. My therapist would come and actually pick me up. She'd take me to ice cream. She was an on-hands therapist Mm -hmm. to where I didn't have to go to her office and sit and feel awkward because she knew I had that defiance of the middle finger of fuck you. And so she literally came and picked me up from, I was doing college classes at that time too, to like fix myself and my future and my education. And she'd pick me up from college classes so I didn't have to take the tracks. She'd Mm. come get me and take me out. So I literally had the most amazing therapist. And I think she's my, my cousin and my therapist and my social worker were definitely my saving graces. They were just, yeah, they were so supportive. And the therapy, I literally think she was with me three days, four days a week. Oh, wow. Like, she was with me a lot. Intense therapy. Intense therapy. And that was kind of where being able to see that there is a a life after this bowl was Mm -hmm. probably where my healing was able to go. Being able to know that I could have a future. I can go to college. I can... You know, Your life doesn't have to stop here. No. Right. My life doesn't have to stop here. And just because I've been shamed by my entire family and everyone around me. Because essentially then I was also... Youth was a big community for me. Mm-hmm. And my family destroyed that for me. Right. They spread lies throughout the church. Mm-hmm. But I was then something else. So I lost a lot of people because... Mm-hmm. Also, you're you're 17 when I came out, so I didn't know how to approach people and be like, no, he's the liar. Like, yeah. I'm the one telling the truth. Like, You just kind of took it in and just let it be. Yeah, yeah. I, I just was focused on trying to get him in behind bars. And, and you on with your life. And me on my with right. my life. And so I lost a lot of people. And even, like, my 4-H community and a lot of those people didn't understand what was going on. And then I had a few people that found out what was going on and found out that he finally went to prison. And they were like, oh my gosh, now we see the signs. We thought for sure you were, like, kind of maybe lying. Mm -hmm. But, like, now we see the, like, crazy side of him. All the stuff that came out. Yeah. So, um, and, oh, now we understand why he was so controlling. Oh, now we understand why you couldn't come over. Yeah. Like, these tendencies that he would do and these freakouts, no one ever understood and just thought he was being a dad. And I think that's the problem, too, is people always say, well, I knew something was off. I knew something. Then why didn't you ask? And that's, and that's for me such a huge thing to, like, tell people is, you think something's off, ask questions. Don't just sit back and be like, oh, we'll just wait and see what happens. Because I'm sure at one point if somebody would have come to, come to you and been like, hey, Tessa, something's off. Like, can you tell me what's going on? Is someone hurting you? You know what I mean? You probably would have said something or at least given signs to let them know that, yeah, you are hurting and yeah. you are struggling, you know? Well- Hey guys, so quick break. So if you came to my podcast launch back in August, you saw one of the vendor booths from the lovely ladies from Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn, which was about suicide prevention. 
They specialize in apparel for every booty, men and women. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up the kids from school and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, and showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $40. You can find them on Facebook or on Instagram at Clone Apparel. That's K-L-O-N Apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. If you use my discount code, candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out because I know you'll be obsessed too. That's another thing too. Um, if anyone knows me, I'm a tough cookie, mm-hmm. and I also put off the facade of like, screw this, f this, I've got this. Yeah, I'm a strong woman. But really, if you actually get to know me and you talk to me, I'm like a squishy teddy bear. Like, <laughs> um, and that's the thing. Yeah, if someone would have asked me, I probably would have broken down because I did have those moments that at our ministry and at our things, you know, I I did break down to a few. T- other oh, I remember. I remember us both at one point literally sobbing in like worship that we were both crying and talking to the youth pastors and stuff and just both being hysterical. And in my head, I'm like, what is she crying? Like, why is she so upset? And you probably the same thing. And again, it's just that facade of that we both were really good at and had these walls up and thought we were tough bitches to everybody else. hundred <laughs> percent. Everyone else is like, oh don't oh they're like stuck up, they're brats. We we came across as just spoiled little brats when in reality we were being we were hurt and we were being hurt and all this stuff was going on and nobody asked. Nobody asked. And nobody said anything. And so we just kind of had to cry and then act like we were fine and go home at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's something that I wish myself along with other people would have done differently is actually stepped up and been like hey what is happening because I and that thing is because now I know it's now I'm like hey whatever's going on like I don't know you that well but I can tell something's off and asking those questions like I already know from experience it makes such a huge difference in someone's life no and I I totally agree with you in that situation because I think I'm that person now too and I almost have to catch myself for like work relationship oh my gosh what's happening why are you so depressed Um, well and I I totally did that a while ago where I like pulled an employee like a coworker aside and I was like I don't know what your deal is but you need to get some you need to see someone yeah because I'm here to tell you that this has been different in the last couple of years and it's I just not okay. Yeah, yeah, I need you to know that I'm here, but you need to fix yourself. Yeah. <laughs> How can I help you? And people now probably look at us like, hey, you guys need boundaries. Yes. Like, back up. Boundaries. But again, like, for us, it's just so important because we wish someone would have broke those boundaries with us. No, and... 100%. I wish someone would have said, your RBF is too strong. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> right. Because like, you don't have RBF like that and not have a reason to. Yeah, so. something is always going on. Exactly. Okay, so... After all that, and after he was in jail, kind of towards the end, before you found out he was up for parole, can you kind of tell us where your life was and all of that? Yeah, so I have an amazing husband. I've been married nine years, actually, this last week. I know, crazy. Um, I have an amazing stepson. He just turned nine as well. And then I have a little girl that's going to be eight this next year, so... As Mike started coming up for parole, right, you as a mother start worrying about 
where my life's at, where my kids are at. I have a little girl, which obviously sends those tendencies into hyperdrive. Right, your radar. Uh-huh. And at that time, I mean, I'll be 100% honest, my mom and me don't have a great relationship, and she did decide to stay with him. And so yeah, while he was in jail, she never divorced him. No. She stayed in contact with him, would visit him, things like that, correct? Yep. So my mom 100% is standing by her man. Also your brother. Um, yeah, so my mom and my brother would go up and see him. They'd be with him. I have a very close relationship with my brother. I, as much as my mother will always <laughs> deny this, I pretty much helped raise the kid in a major way. Mm-hmm. And me and my brother are really close. They have probably more of a mom relationship than they do a sister relationship. And so at that point, like, you're an adult, you're a mom. I'm trying to figure out how to balance all these relationships. And I was trying to make my relationship with my mom work. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a part of my brother's life more than just... I, Because I, to be honest, the court required that my mom give me visitations with my brother. Because the family mm-hmm. had ripped him away 100%. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't okay with either of us, obviously. And so I wanted to have a relationship where it wasn't court-mandated visitations, which is ridiculous that I have to say that I had court-mandated relationships with my brother, but so I was trying really hard. So against anything with me. Anything with you that you literally had a fight to see your own brother. To see my own brother. And so it was, you know, at this point when Mike's getting ready to get out, I was trying to have a relationship. My daughter had just been born. So I was trying to have a relationship. I, I wanted her to see, you know, technically my my kid and, and what was going to happen there. And we were starting to work on it and trying to figure it out. And she one day called me and told me that she was staying with him. She was going to therapy with him technically through the prison. I don't know how that worked. but And that they were staying together. And I was like, okay, you need to know that if you choose him, you're never seeing your grandkids again. Because he had to set the boundaries. Well, of course. Like, I can't even fathom. And, you know, our stories are very much the same, but in that aspect, they're different. Because I can't even imagine, like, that conversation with your mom, who's supposed to be your saving grace and your rock and your, I mean, just your parent, you know, and have that relationship with her. And then find out that she's choosing him. Once again. Once again. She stayed with him. She stayed with him the whole 10 years. And I could see if it's like, oh, well, let's see what happens. I'll divorce him when it gets closer or whatever, but having no contact. But the fact that she had contact, continued to see him, continued to have calls all the time with him, continued to, like, basically, like, nothing happened. Nope. He was off on an extended vacation in her world. (laughs) And then lost this, and then, you know, started repairing this relationship with her daughter and her grandbaby. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, he's out, so bye. Yeah, because Kenna was four months or so before she even met her. Yeah, I was like, she, I remember it was a while before she met yeah, her. Yeah, she didn't even meet her until she was almost four months, even longer. Because I think you knew. I mean, again, because she was still talking to him, you yeah. knew she was. But I think you knew, which is sad to say that, unfortunately, she was never going to choose you. Well, and that's, family. I mean, going to that, too, is my brother and her relationship was really horrible during that entire time. Your brother started going downhill yeah. as a teenager as well, right? And unfortunately, that was then my mom, again, she's very old school in certain scenarios, is even though my brother was young, as he started getting older, in her mind, he needed to then help provide. Mm-hmm. He started working as soon as he ate, hit a younger age. Um, I believe it was 15 or so. He started working for the family business. Um, he became the man of the family. He became the man of the family. 
and he went to work for them, and my mom allowed him to drop out of school. My mom, you know, wasn't keeping track of him, and unfortunately, that led to a lot of my brother's destruction. Uh, He got into drugs, he got into alcohol, and he literally (laughs) has done almost probably every drug out there. It is ridiculous what he's told me, and he's only now, he actually showed up at my door after probably 18 months of me not seeing him. He went into rehab a year and a half ago, and we were working really hard at his relationship and his rehab and his sobriety and everything, and he then dropped off a little bit of the bandwagon, and I haven't seen him for 18 months, and he like showed up at my door the other day and was doing fantastic, which I was so thankful for, because... But he's gone through a horrible, you know, demise of his own, and so, you know, that was really the point of my mom, you know, her choosing that she was going to do therapy, and her allowing my brother to go down this demise, that it was like, hey, you don't care about anyone other than yourself, and you'll never choose us over him, and so there's no point in me. I have to set boundaries. Right. So we actually went out, he was actually out in a prison that was a couple hours away at this time. So we went out to his parole hearing and I'll just put it out there. My health went to to hell. Mm. I started breaking out in hives all over my body because of how stressed I was. Because it was told to me that, you know, you may, he may be getting out soon or he may not be. This kind of hearing determines it. Mm-hmm. And I broke out in just stress hives all over my body. Um, and my body really turned against me. Yeah. <laughs> and I have actually been diagnosed with chronic hives now. And I am quote unquote allergic to myself. <laughs> so every time I get highly stressed, I break out again. I have to take a monthly shot for myself. And that's just something now I've had to be in like, thanks for the, thanks for an additional gift in yeah. my life. <laughs> I appreciate like you. Like this long term effect that. Yeah. You can't just, like, get rid of it. No, because it's, it's affected me severely. And so shortly after that, that parole hearing, we did find out that he was getting released. <laughs> no. I mean, I went to my parole hearing and, like, did a statement and everything. And, like, you spoke, did all this stuff, and then it did absolutely nothing. So yeah, I always have a hard time with those. Yeah, well, and it was, it was hard to – so I had this great relationship with my – school actually like the hall monitor guards I had this you know great relationship with my school I was always closer with my teachers than I ever was so funny I was too I have like three teachers that I'm like now friends with on Facebook like I actually go to dinner with the teacher I reported my stuff to tomorrow so like it's just a hundred percent I totally I'm there my parents my mom always thought I was crazy she's like why do you like hang out with old people I'm like I don't know it's just they're older, and so I feel way more comfortable. I no, like- I'll call him G right now, <laughs> but seriously, me and G, I see him all the time. Like, That's and, awesome. But long story short, his wife ended up being one of the board members, too. Oh, wow. So that was a whole cabaca, but, like, I was trying to purposely sabotage his parole and all of this stuff, so unfortunately she has to you know come out and say she knows right she knows me through you know association of her husband that happened to be the hall monitor or security at my school um but yeah that was a whole nother demise of like the family shaming me because I was trying to like they thought that you like call and try to like yeah like get somebody on your side like I befriended someone and was like oh let's let's make up this whole thing I'm gonna illegally go against the whole entire system that much time to do that oh my gosh it was that smart yes (laughs) so yeah I just I now have this lovely gift from being stressed from that situation that I still deal with on a day-to-day 
Um, and then you've been asking me to come on here and talk about my story for a while. And it just so happened that a couple weeks ago we found out that he is now being released from parole. Which blows my mind. Yeah. So he will now quote-unquote, I guess, be a free, free man. Be ultimately free. Yeah. I mean, they'll always be registered, but that's it. Like, yeah. that's all he's yeah. going to have. He's not going to have anyone checking up on him. And I remember when you told me that, I was like, what? Like, it just, it's hard for me to even understand the justice system at that point, you know? Well, and I even, I, you know, because at that point, I was like, who do I call, right? And based off online, he had a parole hearing. So I, of course, was like, why wasn't I contacted? I've been right. at every other one. What the heck? So his parole officer actually contacted me back and I was reshamed all over again when I was like, well, I want to file a restraining order because obviously I have a little girl and I don't need him around my family mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form or him thinking. Let me just say you ran into him. Yes. You ran into him at Costco and like a couple other places. Which is <sighs> yeah. No. Insane. And, and that's the thing too. It's like, it's like you said with your story where it's like, you know, and you have these feelings of like, you're being watched and you're being, mm-hmm. you're being seen and you're always worried about, am I right? Or am I wrong? Am I just crazy? Am I just crazy? Yeah. But I'm not. <laughs> but then you realize that yeah. you see it and you're like, shit, I'm not crazy. Like yeah. you're right there. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I was completely, the parole officer was like, well, I would suggest getting a lawyer because lawyers are always, they always help in those situations. And I essentially was like, I, it, it took a lot of gum to just not tell him to fuck off. But right? no, <laughs> I was like, exactly I, I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, but I have decided, you know, I, I am moving on and I'm trying to make that future. And let's be honest, I got shit show problems of my own. I, I don't need to waste the energy on, mm-hmm. on trying to, you know, let that, affect, let that right affect me. I think if I run into him or feel like I have that feeling again, I will definitely be going for a restraining order or no contact order again. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, I just, I had to mentally make that decision right now that I just, I can't, because I started breaking out in hives again, which yeah. my medicine really does control my hives for the most part a lot lately. But the really high stress moments when I just have had a shot and I still break out in the hives and there that's when I know my stress level is out of control and I don't need to put myself through that anymore what's kind of your plan to stay mentally like sane yeah so he's actually been released as of two days ago okay um that did happen the last 24 48 hours and now I think it's my focus of not only my kids and trying to be healthy but with my brother showing up at my door he is connected to my family and my parents, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But he only had positive things to talk about his future. And that's, I just have to look at the future. I have to look at helping him, you know, finally find his peace and his sobriety. He's dating an amazing girl, it sounds like. And so it's like, I've got to look at that for my family and for myself and for the people that mean the most to me. Right. And also know that you're you're an adult now and Mike can't hurt you or your brother anymore, even if he is free. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're safe and your kids are safe. And if it ever becomes where that's not the case, there's things that you can do to keep yourself safe. And luckily mm-hmm. you have your husband who helps keep you safe too and you know he's never going to let anything happen. Yeah. But it's still an eerie feeling. And I know that from experience, just knowing he's out there and free and able to do whatever he wants sucks and like you said earlier I've been wanting to come on here basically from the beginning when I first 
started doing this because we have such a connection with this, with our stories and the same. And, but when you came to my podcast launch, I remember you kind of just like really analyzing this whole situation with Baca's video. And can you kind of tell me what was going through your head and kind of what was your breaking point to be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to share my story. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because I've been resistant for a while. Yeah, so I was like, okay, it's okay. I, I just let it go, and I'm like, it's okay. And I'm like, her time will come. I'm I've been putting her own time. I've been putting you at arm's reach. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I mentally, this last little bit, have just gone through a lot. I mean, I I'll be a hundred percent honest. My PTSD has been through the roof the last mm-hmm. like six months, and I mentioned earlier, I just. I feel like that's my body has been like, hey, a storm's a brewing. Mm-hmm. We need to prepare you because a storm is a brewing. Mm-hmm. And with everything, with, you hadn't been told that he was going to be. Really I sick. hadn't been told oh, no, and and even just the simplest things. I had was having nightmares about my brother. I was having nightmares about Mike. I was having you know all of this crazy PTSD about stuff, and I I didn't know where anything was generating from. And so I told you, I was like, I can't do it right now. I'm just not. I'm right. not mentally there. And so yeah, the launch. I will admit my husband's like, honey, you need to help others. You need to be there. He's like, and I was like, but this has always been Desi's dream. This has never been, I've always been one to be, you know, I'm going to be honest about my story and I'm going to tell people my story. But you've always been a lot more like quiet about it. Yeah. And I was until I decided to do this, but even when we would talk, it's just something that you always just kind of stuffed and never really fully dealt with since you were a teenager. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of the thing was Jake was like, you know, I I ended up approaching, um, one of the guys from Baca and I was like, you know, I appreciate everything you guys do. And they were there at my hearing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have no idea who called them to this day. I don't know who called them. And I just was telling him, thank you. And he's like, well, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, PTSD is a real thing right now. And he's like, no, I get it. He's like, I I have, and he gave me his story about a situation. And I was like, you know, there's so many people that are going through this. And there's so many people that live this and this is their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Or they've hit or they've not been able to talk about it. And that was when shortly after your launch was when I was told that Mike was being released. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is why. Again, another yeah that was like preparing you yeah and I was like okay this is this is it you know between Desi's support and Jake's support and you know my other very close friends it's like you know I've I can do this it's fine I I don't need to be worried about it I don't need to be worried about my PTSD because obviously I live with it daily yeah um you know the simplest things can trigger me and so it's like you know I I've got to be able to be okay to say I can help Right. And, and able to say that it's, it's not okay. No. What's happening and what happened. And it's funny because I remember getting your text that night and telling me, first of all, what was happening about him being released. And I was so, I, I mean, I was really upset and trying to process this because, again, it's a situation that just makes me so emotional and angry because I don't understand the justice system. I don't understand how this works. But it's also one of those things that I'm never going to understand. And I've had to kind of come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. But I remember reading your thing and you're like, you know, I can't freaking believe this. Like just going off. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to share my story. I want to come on your podcast like basically tomorrow. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. <laughs> Are you sure? Because again, like I know you're really upset right now. But I, the reason I wanted, I'm glad you were honest and said that you wanted to wait. Because for me, 
sharing my story, I couldn't do that three years ago. I needed to wait till I was in the place I'm in now to share my story because we can't help people if we're still not like we're still not better. Yeah. And I've already said that before. Like broken people, how how can broken people that are still broken help broken people? And all you're gonna do is end up pulling each other down. You no, know what and, I mean? and even as a mother, like listening to your guys' other other guests and other episodes, like that's another thing. I was like, I can't feel shame about my situation without helping my kids. Right. My stepson has a, a crappy situation to say the least. Right. And I can't help him through his his anxiety and his issues with mm-hmm. being able to communicate if I can't say that I'm going to communicate. Right. Like I, I can't you play can't the double-edged to, sword. Right. You can't tell him to be honest and be open if you're not willing to yeah. be honest and open. And that was probably my biggest thing is, is like, you know, I, I can't feel shame about the fact that my kid's nine and he's already in therapy and we're mm-hmm. already trying to work towards progress and, and a future for him. Right. If I can't be honest you know, with mine. Right. And I think that's why, why I'm so glad that you came to terms and came to peace with that. Because again, if I would have been like, come on, please begged you to be on a year ago. It, I wouldn't have felt peace at the end of it. Where right now I just seeing your demeanor, seeing your attitude with everything. I've known you from the beginning and when it started and I see the difference. Even at the podcast launch, Nick had even said something about having you on. And I was like, she's not ready. Like, She's just not. Like, I don't want to try to force something and force someone who's not ready to be there. And then, again, when you sent me that message, I was like, I didn't even feel any hesitant. I was like, oh, my gosh, really? Like, okay. And now talking to you and just, like like I said, seeing how your reaction is, is completely different. Even from the day that we met in the parking lot of your work and talking about it. A hundred percent. She donated a couple things for the event, for the raffle. And we met in her parking lot, and she had just found out about his him being released. And I had already gotten the text message, so it was a few days after. And I just remember being sad when I drove away because I'm just like, I can't. Again, I'm going through this other situation. Because it was like literally, funny thing Again. Is, right after I find out, found out about my old stepdad and what he had been doing with the pictures and my whole thing. And so, again, at the same time, we both get hit with these huge situations, things, situations with them. And I remember, like I said, I remember driving away and just being like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how she's going to handle this and how, and honestly, Tessa, like, I'm so happy that you are where you are today and you have really come so far and I know it's been a hell of a road, but look at you now and look, now you can throw your fingers up and be like, F you guys, I'm where I am because I worked my ass off to be here. Well, and I have to say that's, I mean, it hundred percent sounds like it was like a switch of a flip of the switch switch. (laughs) (laughs) um in this scenario that i was just okay and that's not for everyone and that's not how everyone handles and processes and it takes a while and i have to just say to anyone you know my therapy was long and extensive when i was younger and then as an adult i have some amazing friendships and some amazing people and my husband is great and just find your community you know i i lost that community as far as my church went and as far as you know some of those other communities that I had when I was younger but find your community find your people find the stronghold because I without my husband without you even just being there off to the distance that says I'll be here for when you need Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to say okay one day no I'm I can't handle this I'm breaking down I'm sobbing in my backyard I can't handle any of this I'm ignoring my family, you know. I, I literally went from that one day to just being like, what do I do the next day? Mm-hmm. And 
okay, I I have to go to work. I have to pick, pack yeah. the kids' lunches. I've, you know, got to get them ready for school. Ready. Like, right. I have to get ready. And that's kind of the thing is, it was like, I actually believe I was taking my son to therapy. And it was. It's just like, you know, I have to be, I've got to keep looking for that future. Then you also, I think, letting you feel that for a couple of days, I think was helpful too. You did yeah. go through the feelings of anger. You were pissed. You were crying. You were emotional. You had all these feelings that you have, that you were allowed to have and to work through. And then that helps with the flipping of the switch because yep. once you do those things, then you're like, okay, now what? What do I do from here? I can either stay in this hole yep. and feel sorry for myself and wallow and have all these feelings or after a couple of days of letting myself feel that, I can get up and I can figure out a way to fight this and be the strong person that I know I am. And I think that that's what you did. Like I said, you felt it. You allowed yourself to feel it and then you decided what you were going to do with it and that's why I think you do kind of have a piece with it right now and things are going to change and things are going to emotions are going to switch I mean tomorrow you might wake up freaking pissed again and be like I can't leave he's free but again every time that happens you just have to be like I've already said in my other episodes honest with your community and your circle let them know hey guys I am struggling today this is not a good day for me to be out or whatever it is and let make sure you have those people in your life bring you up yeah and make sure that you're hanging that you stay strong because unfortunately when you've been through trauma it doesn't go away it's no we're never gonna wake up and be like oh we had beautiful childhoods and we had this amazing life unfortunately that was taken away from us but what we do have is our future and our presence and yeah. with what's happening now. And you're an amazing mom who's helping your stepson go through the things he's going through because he's had a shitty, you know, been given a shitty hand. And now you can help, we can help other people yeah. and use our pain for something good. Well, and I think like you said, like it's, there's always some situation, right? You just mentioned like we keep yeah. having these situations together. Come oh my gosh, like you said earlier, it's always a storm. Always. <laughs> yeah. If it's a little one or it's a freaking tornado, it's always something. It's always something. And, and I mean, you obviously will talk about what happened, you know, last night on probably in another situation. But again, that situation popped up last night and it was like, okay. Like, it was another, to me, it was another validation of needing to be on here. To me, right. it was another validation of I'm here for those people if they need. Because you had a great community behind you. You had a great standing. Your mom was, you know, there for you. Your family was there for you. Unfortunately, I had a cousin and her right. husband. And, you know, I lost a lot of people. And I had to build those things up. And I did have a shitty childhood in that sense of I, that was taken from me. Right. But... Finding that truth in your future and then looking at the positives in what I did have, you know, as a kid. I did have great moments. Right. Well, and now look, again, the type of mom you are because of it. It's made you be a good stepmom. It's made you be a good mom. It's taught you things and people always are like, would you take it back? Honestly, that's a tough question for me to answer because I don't know. And honestly, I really don't think if I had to do all over again, obviously it wouldn't be like, oh, I want to be abused again. But I would be okay with that pain because of what it was going to end up turning into. No, and even in the slightest thing, I, I don't have a great relationship with my mom. I haven't seen her. And now, gosh, she's been out for five years. I haven't seen my mom in five years or spoken oh to gosh. her. Except for when I've run into them. Um, <laughs> Costco. <laughs> at Costco. Um, and them driving on the side of the road or us in the parking lot, whatever. Yeah. I, I haven't spoken to my mom and I don't have that relationship but it's great for me to be able to say you know what she's got some loose screws in her head 
but I'm sure as hell going to have a better relationship with my daughter. Right. And she's a mini me, dear. <laughs> she <laughs> dear is. Dear heavens, she's my mini. Um, yes. And she tests everything. But I can look at those horrible situations and I can pick out the things that I want to be better at. Mm-hmm. I don't have a great relationship with my mom, but I'll, it's making me a better mom. I'm going to be, you know, a great bonus mom. I'm going to be a great mom. I'm going to mm-hmm. help my kids through. My daughter has ADHD, bless her soul, and she's <laughs> wound tighter than a, <laughs> a spinning wheel. But I'm going to help us all through those situations mm-hmm. and help even society see those situations as not shameful moments. But right. How can we work through the anxiety? How can we work through the trauma? How can we work through, um, you know, having to take, uh, my daughter's taking medication and mm-hmm. how can you do that to her? You know, all of those things. I It's so sad that society has to shame it. Yeah. And I want to put a voice to that to say it's okay. Yeah. We can, we can be okay. We can be better. And, you know. We can grow from we these can grow. situations. Yeah. And we can be better people. You know, don't let that trauma define you. Take the moments to grow and to heal and to be better. Well, I just want to say that I love you and I'm love you. so proud of you. And I mean, we still got RBF, but it's a lot more react- <laughs> relaxed now. <laughs> it's strong. It is strong. I don't think that's ever going to go away. That's our, that's just who we are now. But again, I'm just so proud of you and you've got this and I'm going to be here every step of the way and you're going to have an amazing support system no matter what. I and it. I am going to add her to my page if anyone feels like they want to reach out to her, um, you are more than welcome to. She would love to talk to you. So thank you guys for listening. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Candle in a Dark Room. 